You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. We are just chit-chatting and going, damn it, we should be recording. So (laughs) I'm recording. (laughs) So we'll touch back with that, but I want to introduce everyone to our new student midwife, assistant midwife, Clover. Um, And maybe you can just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive back into the juicy conversation we're having. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I am a student midwife. I'm in my fourth year of midwifery school. I go to Midwife's College of Utah and I was born at home in Berkeley and have been doing kind of birth and reproductive justice related work since um, I was out of high school. And yeah, I was working at a birth center before this. So I'm really excited to be diving into home birth with Sophia. Um, and kind of switched preceptors at the last minute a few months ago and found Sophia um, kind of through some just magical intervention and it feels like a really nice fit. So I've been working with um, her team for about the last like three weeks or a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And if you hear crunching, it's because Clover <laughs> made me, sorry, I missed the birth cookies. <laughs> They're chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so yeah, maybe touch yeah, base we- on that. Yeah, so I went on call for this, you know, just for the practice, probably like three weeks ago, right, right around the time that I was starting. And um, I've been on call for like maybe the past, yeah, seven years. And I have my routine down, you know, I put my phone next to my head, I turn up the volume, I check that everyone's on emergency bypass. I have my whole thing. And I had broken the screen on my phone, like about a week ago. And the speaker I think also got damaged because when I was talking to Sophia and other people on the phone I would like miss phone calls and she couldn't quite hear me but I, I didn't I wasn't really putting it together um but yeah so she called me a few nights ago like at 12 a.m mm-hmm. and I just I missed every call mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that I could figure out so I brought my phone in yesterday and I got fixed and the speaker got fixed so I think the problem is solved but yeah it was a it was a mortifying experience as a student midwife to miss those calls. Um, Way to be unreliable. Yeah, no. geez, I was like, I'm trying to build trust and like know that she can depend on me. And yeah, it was, fun. I, you know, I woke up, I just tears streaming on my face. My partner was like, He's, she's probably going to understand. But which I did. It was a very good learning experience for me because, you know, he was like, this is why you're in midwifery school. Like you mm-hmm. make this mistake now, you'll never make it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And it, yeah, do it now before you're the primary midwife, totally. right? And you yeah. don't show up for a birth. Yeah. And it was funny because this last birth, you know, when I woke up, I was like, well, thank God, at least you had another student there. Mm-hmm. And well, and I didn't. student had also missed the birth. <laughs> and the dad walked in 10 minutes before the baby was born because he was at work in the city. So I was saying like, no part of me was like mad at anyone like I knew nobody was doing it on purpose but it definitely was really challenging to get a birth tub set up give hip pressure help her with her vomit like I definitely felt like oh my god I need a little more help you know and she was going so quickly so it was it was a little frustrating to not have all hands on deck for those really quick you know mole tips um so, but it worked out and the, she gave, she had a water burn. <laughs> it's always a miracle. So incredible. <laughs> um, through the computer, very jealous. <laughs> yeah, so um, we had talked about wanting to discuss today like student sustainability. Um, and we just so happened to have two students here. <laughs> um, Where's Emma? Emma up to? Yeah, Emma has a study group that she's booking it up north to make it to um, because she's so close to being licensed and all she needs right now are um, 
to finish her modules. So she has um, some women that flew into town and traveled to her. They're all gathering to, it's very like choppy. Do you guys hear that? My internet. Yeah. Um, so um, she's booking it up north to um, host that so that everyone can yeah. and get modules done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can touch base on Emma's behalf too. Um, because she is like an hour from me. And so she's really far from clients. Um, and it's hard when you have multiples who have prodromal labor and the start stop stuff, like knowing when to go. Um, and so the reason she didn't make it to the birth is because she was hesitating if this was like the real thing because the mom had been having contractions you know every five minutes lasting a minute and a half for three hours every night for like you know three mm-hmm. weeks so it was like is this it do I really want to drive all that way just to go home you know it's like hard to tell and so I said well I'll just let you know when I get there what I think and if she had just left when I left she would have made it but it wasn't enough time by the time I got there um so she, she said that her lesson was always just believe the mother, you know, and not that she didn't believe her, but just like always go based on that. And I was telling her kind of the point of being a student is to pretend this is your client, you know, that you are the primary midwife. And I asked her like, if that mom had been talking to you and you were her midwife, would you have not gone? She's like, no, I would have gone, you know, but because she wasn't a she felt like, oh, well, maybe I can wait and see. But, but it's like, as a student, like, try to pretend these are your clients, you know, yeah. and that you are the primary and what would you do, you know, because it's good to practice that. Um, and she lives in such a rural area, she's trying to decide, do I want to be that far away from clients, you know, yeah. or I'm having to drive hours to get to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that in the past. It's like, one of the things about being a midwife is, you know, like I would, I live in Marin County. I would love to live further West, like out by the beach, you know, there's the midwife that lives out in Bolinas. Like, you know, I, I love Inverness. I don't know if you guys know that area, but yeah, having already being kind of in central Marin, I end up driving so much yeah. and it's hard to, to live hours away from somebody. So yeah, it's always that question. Well, that's why I had that truck that I was gonna put a mattress in the back and just <laughs> camp yeah. out in front of people's houses. Yeah. For an early labor, but yeah. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking about, Sophia, when we were talking about the phone thing, like missing births or being wonky is that I don't, and I, I could, you know, but I don't think I've ever missed a birth because like my phone was off or something. I've had random ghost spirits turn my, my phone off or not work. Like remember, I'm not I won't do her name because we don't have permission, but it was a birth that you were doing photos and the mom's water bag opened and it was Sophia, do you remember, um, so I won't say your name because we don't have permission um, directly, but the birth where you were doing photos and it wasn't that my phone, the ringer was off or anything, but it was a a spirit who came to to, to decide that um, my phone wasn't going to work because you called me. And you, you know, she, her bag of water is open and she said, she's been calling you. I'm going to head down because you were, you know, like an hour from her, mm-hmm. that timing thing again. And I was like, um, okay. And then I started <laughs> called them and, uh, and found out what was happening. And it was her second. 
things were going very fast. Um, but they had called my phone several times and there was nothing on the call log. It just, and you called me, my phone was working fine. I mean, I was in like, I was, yeah, I was, um, at my boyfriend at the time's house and I get calls there all the time, you know, no issue. And when um, I called you, you answered right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that birth I did miss by a couple minutes and that was exciting, but, um, yeah, and then we were talking about it later, and you know they were like understandably a little bit upset. But I was like, I showed them my phone. I was like, there's no missed calls, and they showed me their phone, and there was record of them calling me, you know. And it was like they didn't leave a voicemail, so that's one thing, leave a voicemail. But it was just so it was so bizarre. I was like, okay, I guess I wasn't supposed to be at that birth. Right. Yeah. That's where you know. Yeah, because I didn't make it either. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody yeah. just wanted to kill her. She really did. Her parents. But yeah, that was, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do either of you want to touch base on, like, as you work towards your license, um, um, what am I trying to say? Experiences you've had that shape where you want to land as a midwife, the type of you know, like we're talking about rule or not, and like how far away you want to be from clients and how you want to structure your practice, whether it's like home, um, not like home visits versus office versus like, you know, what, what is shaping, um, what experiences are shaping that for you and what's your process in deciding how you want to serve families? Yeah. Um, definitely thought a lot about all of that. I also live, I live in Fairfax. Yeah, I live very close Nina. Um, I know, I'm like, nobody can see us. She'd be like, hi, Nina. Here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, make sure you speak loud enough too. It's yeah. Until so we yeah. they learn our voices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> voice recognition. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I, and I have been here since I've been, I've been in the same home since I've started uh, midwifery school. So I haven't had the experience of being well, I've always been central and still end up in the car for hours and hours. And that's, it, it feels like, um, you know, it's kind of safe and comfortable to be in somewhere that is accessible and also that gets like fine phone service and doesn't have issues around that. And, um, and I don't, I, my, I picture myself staying here for a while. I don't know if I will end up establishing like a long-term practice in, or elsewhere but I don't have plans to move um far anytime soon so I kind of just picture staying in the same place and we don't have space for a home office or anything so it's going to be home visits close to home um or anywhere but in terms of the like and this kind of ties into what we were all talking about last week just in terms of like the practice setup and um things feeling kind of sustainable in terms of and backup and all of that um yeah we think about that all the time and I think that's a big reason why we wanted to talk um I definitely feel like it's it's key to for me to to think about my own practice up in like conjunction with another person or people um it just doesn't feel sustainable to me otherwise um and so I spend a lot of group practice you mean yeah while I'm practicing um like either having you know a small like crew that takes turns being off and on call um I feel like the on-call thing like you you know you've been on call for seven years and you know same um except for some time I took off to have my daughter but uh you don't really notice what that feels like until you're off call. And then it's like, oh, right, this is the feeling of being off call. So I, I, I definitely value that, the opportunity to feel what it feels like to be off call and then how- And how long does it take to really feel like you're off call? Because yeah. there's always that, like, where's my phone? But you like, it takes yeah. detox time to wean right, off. Right, it's like a couple of weeks to- And then by the time you get used to it, you're like, and I'm back on call. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I took a long enough time off after my daughter was born that I like very used to being off call and I've been, you know, on call for eight months now or something again. So, uh, it, you know, it, the, being on call comes back really quickly. Being off call, it takes a while to yeah. get used to for sure. Um, but I definitely, 
you know, take in a lot of when I hear about different uh, midwifery practices and how they have things set up and what that looks like, like that's all very valuable to me and has kind of like shifted and changed and evolved over the course of the last 10 years, just in terms of my own vision for myself. And I haven't like landed in exactly what this is going to look like, but it's something. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question too about like, you know, when you're a practicing midwife, where do you want to live and centrally or what, you know, um, all of that, but also just as a student, like what's feasible as a student, where can you be? And, you know, it's like, if you need to be close to town, especially if you're like in expensive, yeah, expensive to live in those places mm -hmm. to function as a student and you know, all of that. So it's an interesting. And as a preceptor, I'm learning too, because Emma is my first student and now I have Clover. Um, I'm, I was a student recent enough that I can remember like what worked and what didn't for me, what felt good, what didn't. Um, and um, in terms of like how far away students are from clients, one thing I've noticed is unless we're already together doing appointments together and so then we go to the birth together, Emma has never experienced setting up for a birth. She's like, because when the mama needs me, I just go, I can't wait an hour for her to get to me for the most part. And so she meets me there and it's all kind of done because that's like the first thing I do is just getting everything at spot. So it's like, she's missing that piece because it's such an important piece to like practice, you know? Um, and, and for me, that's one of the biggest helps is setting it all up, you know, and having somebody with the mom and getting the birth tub and like dialing it all in. And then you just kind of hunker down and hold space. But like that piece, she's, she's only done like once with me, you know, um, when we were together. So that's something to consider too, is if you, if you can't be there when your preceptor gets there, you miss out on pieces. Right. We, I mean, that's one of the great things about living five minutes from each other is we the births yeah, at the same time like that's kind time. of part of and as Nina's getting close to being done a lot of it is like you know we know about the bowl right I think probably most of the people listening to her podcast know what that is no um, but you know it's like the the medium-sized salad bowl with um, <laughs> your instruments and gloves and maybe some pit and whatever you know but every midwife has like their book, mm -hmm. right? Like the things that they, that they want in it. And so I don't know, like recently I've been like, okay, you need to make your bowl, make your bowl, <laughs> you know, I mean, and it has the same stuff in it and it's close enough, but it's like, you know, when you have a student who's almost done, um, just being like, okay, now you set up yeah. how, you know, and it's good practice. Like I didn't have that. I finished up school at a birth center. And so it was like, we had a cart where everything was and it was like, you know, and it made sense, but very different than being at yeah. home. Um, there's, and yeah, there's considerations like- yeah. that, And for anyone listening who doesn't know what Leah's talking about, we have some sort of bowl with all the things for, really it's for if the mother was like fluttering from room to room and we're just right. following her around like where is she going to drop her baby we have all the things we need for the moment of birth in case we you know aren't in the room we thought we were going to be in mm -hmm. um so that's what the bowl is for yeah yeah i'm making decisions around where things go and kind of estimating well we're they've been spent this room then we're going to set up here but have it be by the door in case they're over here and I have my bowl and like that's a really I've been doing that for years and it has been it's really important experience to participate in that setup and be able to set up the tub on my own and while Leah like does vitals or whatever it's just like having two people at that phase is really great and I think that like a lot of midwives who don't work with or that students don't necessarily come during the setup phase like are just doing that on their own um which is really normal in practice in the bay but it does feel like a time to be balancing like holding space for the mom and seeing or the birthing person and seeing what they're doing and being there with them and then like setting up and you know and all of that yeah how to find the balance and I love that you mentioned that the like every house is different and like strategizing where am I going to get 
put the O2 tank because we don't want it interface, but we want it nearby. It's like, this is a good closet. And like, yeah. where is the resuscitation area? You know, and just having all your stuff set up and that you kind of have to do it on the fly each time, depending on the room that you're in. The house, the house size. <laughs> we were at a birth recently. It's like one of the bigger houses that I've ever, you know, more spread out than I've ever been at. And it's like, I know the house you're talking about. I spent about. a lot of time running back and forth in the hallway, like, stand back. I, I, I know that. I think I even commented one time. I did a postpartum visit when Leah wasn't feeling good. I think this is the mom. And I was like, it's quite the hallway. Am I there yet? <laughs> Sliding down the down yeah, the bit of socks. socks on. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I just, this, this uh, episode is a lot about student stuff, which is great, but, um, we were talking about last time about the sustainability of being a student and finances and stuff like that. But one, one piece that I feel like we're moving into, which is great is like, um, having Nina do like inventory of the birth bag at the end of the birth and like what, what it use, which is usually like nothing. Like my IV bag is like, has stuff on it, you know? But um, well, and yeah, then what's about like checking expiration dates, <laughs> you know, for this stuff. Yeah, yeah totally. And just getting familiar with what's in there, you know, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that, you know, Leah is usually packing. It's like the setup. If you don't have the opportunity to practice, like packing the bag and making sure that it's great practice as a yeah. student to have that. And that's another thing because, yeah, sometimes I'll look in my bags. I'm like, where is this? And it got put in a different spot. You know, mm -hmm. it's like learning where everything goes. And if you're not yeah. taking it out and setting up, you don't know where it goes back. Yeah, and like, you know, sterilizing instruments. I didn't do that as a student. Like I cleaned them after the birth and laid them out and like, you know, but my midwife preceptor her own system, like with whether it was a pressure cooker or not, or, or an oven. And so, you know, I kind of had to figure out how to do that myself. And I've done a few different things over the years to kind of find what works best, but, um, as a preceptor, it's really lovely to have a student do that um, for you. And it's an opportunity to, to learn that stuff. Because ideally as a student, you're doing it enough that by the time you're a licensed midwife, you already have the repetition down and you're not trying to like learn this new skill. Um, yeah. And yeah, and some things are time sensitive where you're like sterilizing. I don't wanna wait too long because I wanna get these cleaned and you know, in the oven or wherever. Um, but if you don't have a student who can like come back the next day or come with you that night or, you know, then some things they just don't have the opportunity to do because you're like, I just have to get it done, you know, cause it's time sensitive. That's true. That is one of the reasons why it works for us well to do that is the proximity of our Yeah, she can homes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I feel like coming from a birth center, I'm like imagining, cause at the birth center that I worked at, you know, we did all the setup, we did all the cleaning, we did all the ordering, we did all the stocking. So, you know, all, and it's different. It's such a different context because right, like at a birth center, everything's in the same place. Have you ever done a home birth? I don't think I've ever asked you that. Okay, yeah, you have. I've done I wasn't a couple of home births, okay. but like more in an observed role. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it's interesting because I, I can't imagine what it would be like to not do the setup or not do the cleaning or not do the sterilizing. So I feel like there's a little bit of repetition for me that I've gotten there through that birth center experience and that piece that Nina is talking about of like figuring out how you set it all up when you're in a different environment every single time. It's, you know, I think that'll be a learning piece for me. Yeah. And um, I wanted to hear what your thoughts were about um, sustainability for midwifery. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in terms of the sustainability question that you were just speaking to, Nina, and where to be and where you want your practice to be, I feel like I'm really in a, in a transition moment because I've been working in the East Bay and in Berkeley, and that's where I grew up. And working at a birth center, you know, you're always 20 minutes away from wherever, you, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're never that far from clients, so there's not as many calculations that you're doing in terms of, like, how long is it going to take me to get from this hike to a client? It's always the same amount. Um, 
and now that I'm, because right now I'm currently living in the East Bay and working with Sophia up in Sonoma, mm -hmm. there's like a lot of driving happening, which, you know, I've, I've known that that's just kind of home birth reality for a while. And it's, it's a really different experience mm -hmm. to live it. Um, and my partner and I have been having this conversation quite a bit because we're, you know, in the process of moving to Petaluma um, and he's finding these really fantastic, like rural properties out on the outskirts of town. And he's like, let's live in this trailer, let's mm -hmm. shed, let's have a big garden, which all sounds so magical to me. And then, you know, he came to me like a couple of days ago and he's like, I just realized like none of these places are gonna have service. How, what what are we gonna do? And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. this is a piece that we have to think about. It's, and yeah. it's not really something that, is, it's not flexible. It's like, it's like a, you know, a breaking point. Mm -hmm. deal breaker it's a deal breaker mm -hmm. yeah so you know I think that he he knew that on some level but it really like was sinking in for him he was like but what if we want to go on a walk and we don't have service so it's interesting like watching his process mm -hmm. um understanding how my job and all of that integrates into his experience but yeah I think that for me it would be ideal to be able to live a little bit more rurally just because that's kind of what I enjoy but to have some you know be in a place like Sonoma where there's enough people to help you have a thriving practice and yeah. that you can support yourself mm -hmm. um, and you know in the East Bay where I was before there's so many midwives so in some ways it's actually not that different like it seems like there's fewer midwives up here mm -hmm. a, a, few, a little bit of less clients but in the East Bay there's tons of clients and tons of midwives so it kind of eats out of the wash mm -hmm. And I feel like lately there's been even less midwives. There's been a lot of moving and retiring and like the list I used to have of midwives in Sonoma County has been less and less. Mm -hmm. And I've been hearing lots of names coming up that used to be students that are now new midwives, which is right. cool. mm -hmm. this new, this new generation of midwives that are coming in. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. This I, feel like, I feel like with the in my midwifery school, or at least like it feels like my generation or cohort of student midwives, the conversation is definitely like you're saying, Nina, about small group practice. Like mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of other students talking about wanting to go into solo practice. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's just the tides turning a little bit and people wanting to work on sustainability or if it's, you know, if there's something else to it. But I definitely picture that for myself also. I'd really love to be able to not only have the off call time, but also be able to have the collaboration and the community and mm -hmm. the um, backup that having other midwives in your practice. Yeah. Itself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, my partner's Cuban and we definitely, you know, when I started school, I had this idea that at some point it would be really lovely to be able to have a, a number of months off of call a year to be able to go be there. Um, we have a little house and we have lots of community and it's not something we've been able to do a lot of in the last few years because he's had a regular job and I've been in school and it's just not flexible in that way but thinking about like oh it would be really great to have you know like two months you know of the year when that's just like scheduled into my my year cycle that we plan on being there and kind of how that looks and I think it's definitely something that like older generations of midwives that I've been like in contact with and around like tried and did and like have kind of ebbed and flowed out of is having this group practice or some kind of coverage in that way and obviously it comes with its own set of challenges and considerations and I think sometimes people just kind of burn out on dealing with other people and that's its own you know its own problem or issue or obstacle but um, I'm optimistic about that vision um, too for myself yeah talking about vacations because you either plan it nine months in advance or it's completely last minute because your client delivered early and you have this like uh, yeah. three days or something before you go and call again that's what I've actually been sitting down and trying to like see okay where do I have windows and you know I want to plan a trip to Disneyland with the kids and so I'm trying to do it next February you know and like really reserve that but then all of a sudden you'll have like a repeat client or a best friend of yours do then you're like scrap it all you know like, I gotta be there yeah yeah totally. well Nina and I just uh just got pagers 
Yeah. I want that was one thing I wanted to talk about. So excited. <laughs> I've had them on and off over the years. And I it had been a couple years because I've lived in places with good service. But if I want to go to the beach yeah. or go to I mean, the last couple of years seeing live music has kind of been off the table. But if I went out to a show, I could just clip my pager on my bra and not have to like so cool people were like are you a 1992 a drug dealer or a doctor it's like neither and yes (laughs) i actually had to explain to june my 13 year old what a pager was yesterday i was like we used to do numbers that meant things i was like there's no texting we would text like i love you in a number code it was so funny she was like looking at me like what so primitive. I called to when I call, I called to like reestablish Leah's pager account a couple of days ago, and the guy that I spoke to was like alphanumeric and numeric, and I was like, oh, it's numeric. He's like, really? Yeah, like, yeah that's cool. <laughs> make it work. So I think it'll be nice to have yeah. that second layer. Of, it gives yeah, you this. just like a little piece. I mean, I remember midwives I worked with as a student. Yeah, like they if we went out to dinner or something, it's like they just clip it. Yeah. And then they're like, not, I mean, and this was even like before cell phones were such a big thing. They had cell phones, although there was one that didn't for a long time. Her name starts with a D. Um, you're looking at me. No, <laughs> like, no. Um, anyway, but like, yeah, it was like, you know, you get paged and then you ask the restaurant if you could use their phone to call or you'd use a pay phone. I mean, this was old school, but yeah, it's like, you can just have it. And then, you know, okay, if someone's in labor where they really need you it's an emergency they'll page you and so other things you know are yeah going out to like point rays where the reception's spotty so anyway we're excited present with your family and not having to like Mm -hmm. feel like you have to have your phone right by you Um, here's my question If you have, um, if there's no cell service, the pager will still page, right? It doesn't need that. Right. It just, it get, I mean, it needs like a type of service, but it doesn't need the same level. So it works in like a broader area. A lot of the, like the American messaging now, like they have apps that interface with the phones, which I haven't looked into much, but it, it will like, it will like forward the page or forward the text from the from the pager to the phone somehow. So I'm not sure like what, yeah, what exactly the differences are. With the, with My the- husband was just saying that he, and I might butcher this, but he thinks that Elon Musk, Tesla, whatever, is coming oh, out with satellite phones or whatever. He's going to get some sort of thing where there will literally be no service anywhere. Like you'll always have cell service. Um, I don't know how soon that is happening, but he said he was reading about that. Like soon, if you have this, device you will never not have service which i was like i could get on board with that <laughs> yeah no a pager seems like it would be so great it's like you could lift further out i mean i'm always trying to figure out how i can go surfing and be a midwife because that's one of my favorite things to do and so mm-hmm. i was saying to my partner yesterday like if if we had a pager then you know, we wouldn't be able to surf together but one of us could be on the beach with the pager and let the other go surf and then we could switch spots. you could get a pelican case those are waterproof <laughs> and then yeah. you just put the pager in the pelican oh, that's case genius. i was <laughs> like forehead sophia i was like put it in a ziploc bag yeah yeah waterproof thing is much that's, better that's than... the student version the cheaper version <laughs> if you can't afford a pelican case get a ziploc bag <laughs> double it up yeah. <laughs> uh, no it's it's fun we're gonna um last time i had them my previous student got a bunch of um, Australian Swarovski crystals. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, and bejeweled wow. her pager. So it's about to get fancy. That was actually that, a pre- prerequisite when I started working yeah, with you. Was yeah, that I needed that with bejeweled, bedazzled pager, which yeah. I never got. It was just a big sad. disappointment for me. I know. It's coming <laughs> back though. Anyway, <laughs> on topic. On topic. <laughs> I know that we wanted to talk about like money, like compensation and like vacation stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know where you all want to go with that, but yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a good question. 
go for it. <laughs> Where do you want to go with that? Well, I just think it's it's really interesting. It's it's just a conversation that's been coming up so much, and I feel like mm-hmm. ever since I've been a student midwife, it's been like a question that I get from other people because I'll be like, I'm working, but I'm not really like I don't really have a job. I'm a student, mm-hmm. but I. But I work nights and weekends. But my time is, I can't quite hold down a regular job. And they're just like, how do you do it? And I think that's just the question for student midwives. Like, how do you work on call, irregular hours, you know, integrating clinic days and support yourself? And I think that as a midwifery community, we're starting to have that conversation more and more as we're realizing like, oh, we need more different types of people to be able to become midwives. What how do we make that more accessible? How do we help students create a sustainable life that doesn't, um, you know, they might get licensed and then- And already be burnt out. Yeah, and they're burnt out because they've been a student for five years and they weren't making any money and they were, you know, it's just so complicated. So I- Well, and last time we gathered, we were talking about like midwives or student midwives of color and how there was this whole process, like this is what we need from you and we want more- students of color and the woman that they were interviewing she's like it's not sustainable for me what you're asking of me you know like there needs to be some like we we want to take money out of it because I think there's a really noble way that the apprenticeship model is like based on this mutual exchange of learning and service and that is really incredible and it doesn't really exist in that many other aspects of the of like regular jobs so in some ways I think there's a really lovely romantic concept of apprenticeship model and when you like place that in the middle of capitalism and then you're like okay fend for yourself yeah. it doesn't work so well it's like so I think that there are a certain midwives who are starting to pay students others who are finding ways to give them jobs that they could they feel comfortable compensating them for in a way that allows them to you know, like extra help outside of the student role. Right, right. And then that can be its own thing. Like what is a student role and what is like a task you're asking them to do that isn't really their job, you know? Well, and I came from the birth center model and I don't, I don't think this necessarily applies to all birth centers, but where I was working was there was a lot of admin stuff that was just considered part of the student role. And in some ways I'm really grateful because like I was saying, I got to learn all that, like stocking and ordering and sterilizing and doing all the email admin stuff and also there came a point where you know you're going to many births a week and you're doing all that on top of it and it starts to feel a little icky like it just doesn't feel good anymore and so figuring out like yeah what is because midwifery like learning to be a midwife isn't just doing prenatals and catching babies and going yeah. to postpartums. Like it does involve all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to end up licensed and then realize like, oh shit, right. there's a lot of, be- of there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I have no idea about. Yeah, yeah it's all the business aspect of it that is really not integrated into a lot of the education. Mm-hmm. Assume yeah. that you'll be kind of get, it, get access yeah. to that through your apprenticeship. And I think when you've been practicing you know, long enough that you have an established practice and enough of a client load as a midwife, um, there are things that it's really great to delegate to other people. And whether that um, is a student or someone, you you know, hiring like CPA or things like that. um, I think the, and Sophia, you and I are sort of at that place where we're trying to like, things like social media, like just stuff that like is Exactly. Yeah. So that we don't burn out and that we can grow our practice and and we can take on students and, you know, be involved politically in the midwifery community and the things that like, I don't know, as a a mom of two kids, it's a lot. It's a lot to do to manage. Um, So if, yeah, if there are things that you can pass on to a student that ideally is helpful for them to learn, and then, you know, I mean, you'd be compensating someone else doing it for some of the stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, moving away from the model of like, you know, when I was a student, it was definitely like, this is how you earn your keep. Is, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was really happy to do it because I was so excited to be at births for a long time. And then it was like, okay, I'm carrying this birth tub up the stairs for you at every single birth and, and that's fine. And I don't expect like um, even to be compensated, but I don't want to be treated like shit, 
Yeah. And I know all the schlep work, you know, and it it just felt like there comes a point. It was like this hazing ritual where it was like, you know, you need to do X, Y, Z. And maybe it was cute in the beginning, but like when you're finishing up and you're really working hard and you're an adult Mm -hmm. (laughs) with maybe children or your own life going on or whatever it's it just started to feel yeah like icky like you were saying well you know how like nurses it's that whole like eat eat the young kind of yeah um I was just having a conversation with Emma after the last birth we were at because I was saying I was a student recent enough that I remember the that exact feeling that you're talking about Leah and I told her I want you to know what's going through my head when I'm at birth my thought is like okay the birth tub needs to be emptied and deflated. The mom needs a vaginal exam to like check for lacerations. Like these things need to be done. I, I'm like, I don't want to ask her to do the birth tub because I don't want her to think I'm giving her the grunt work. Like I have all these like conundrums, but I also want her to have the experience of the vaginal exam. Like, oh, and so I was telling her, it would be great for me if you could just like not wait for instructions because I also feel like a nag. Like this is my own thing that I'm working on too. You know, even with my relationship with my husband, like, like it would be nice if you just like jumped in and handled something versus me having to ask because then it just feels like, you know, yeah, I'm like more work for you then. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, it's nice if you just like be more of a self-starter and like just handle like, okay. Or even check in like, okay, what needs to be done? Okay. I'll take this, you know, and just like handle it. So I don't have to also, I don't want to feel like I'm like, managing the situation that it's more of like teamwork and we're all working together to get it all done and it's also like but you're bringing a level of awareness to it where you're like I don't I have an awareness of this power dynamic or maybe like where this could get exploitative and I really don't want to go there Mm -hmm. and that is manifesting itself in that way and I worked with some preceptors who didn't feel that way and I've also worked with other people who were like you know I, I'm never going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself mm-hmm. as a midwife. Like we're, we will clean everything together. We'll do the whole thing together. We'll leave at the same time. Um, and I feel like people fall into different camps mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's necessarily generational, but I really appreciated that when I heard that from a midwife after I'd been kind of doing the other model where mm-hmm. we had been, you know, first to come and like last to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just felt like a level of respect that felt really good. And when you're talking about that hazing thing of the medical model, having this really, I mean, we we're talking about this last week, like it's a super patriarchal medical hazing process. That's all about like, there's no joy or pleasure until you suffer. And mm-hmm. I'm, I just am shocked that that's how midwifery training and like i I went through it so you know like i remember leah and i when we started working together we were having this conversation about never ever will we treat our students the way we were treated and not that i was treated poorly i remember like when i signed up for school i think the school at the time was paying preceptors um but i remember my midwife like waived it and i got like money like i didn't have to pay that money to the school that they would then pay her so there were so many great ways that she like supported me um through school and i remember like i would just pick like okay this is something that was amazing and i really want to gift that to my students and like this was not so good and i want to make sure that you know i don't pass that on um Sophia quickly mm-hmm. um we can do a pause if you want the the volume between the two of you is there's a big difference so I don't know if you can sit like more either like both close or both a little further back but it's like Sophia you're much louder than Clover so it's just it's like a just I don't a, think it has anything to do with our position I think it's to do with your room room. all right well I'm just pointing it out with love I can get a little closer and see if that helps that's that louder yeah. yeah that's better I have a feeling um, that everyone on the podcast knows when I'm talking because they're like oh we got to the volume down. <laughs> maybe. you said it you said it not me um yeah no t- totally it's it's and I think like what we were saying is if you're a preceptor and you're in a position where you feel like you need to show your student how hard it can be or you know whatever that it's not the right fit Mm -hmm. oh and another thing too that um emma was saying recently that she appreciated um that i learned you know from experiencing the opposite is 
um, while she was doing like a newborn screen, I was there like assisting her. And if there were like things that weren't right, I was just, I was correcting in a really subtle way that wasn't so subtle when I was a student. I really felt like, um, like the spotlight was on the mistake I was making, you know, mm -hmm. in the moment and it did not feel good at all. And so she has expressed multiple times how like uh, very subtle my support is when she's like learning something new or like maybe doing something wrong you know with a blood draw maybe there's like a step that's missing it's all just like hand her the piece instead of like pointing out to her what she's doing wrong I just kind of like support her um and then we process ahead of time I remember that was a thing I really wanted to make sure that there was no like shaming in front of clients you know mm -hmm. um so that has felt good to support students in that way. Too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, through a conversation, a few conversations, um, Nina and I have had that I think have been really good too. Communication is so important, um, is just a base way to try to get clear about compensation as a student. And um, Nina and I, and I have worked together for a long time until she had a baby and took a break. I always say it that way because I love her daughter so much. Um, she's the best baby. Um, but like I, I have, we have a really good rhythm where like she does just set up things and she does just take initiative and take down the tub. And it's like, I don't have to, we don't have to have a lot of those like conversations about like, I need you to do this. Um, but we did talk recently about money and just trying to get clear about it, you know, because I think, like when I was a student, I wasn't compensated for assisting midwives, even when I was, you know, I guess, well, I'll say like the primary assist. That's like the language I'll use for that, like in lieu of another midwife being there, which is a whole other topic. Maybe we don't have time for today, but, um, but there was like this ambiguity of like, okay, am I going to get paid? How much am I going to get paid? Am I only going to get paid if there isn't another midwife there by, you know, like what, just having clarity. And I mean, I'll just share what we came up with um, at this point is like coming up with a set of things that are done at births, like breaking down the tub. And, you know, I'm in a position right now uh, where I'm delegating a little more of the physical responsibilities at births, which I'm happy to do. We'll have a surprise <laughs> reveal about that next week. Um, but you know, like, yeah, totally. Um, but so like, but asking things that aren't like the most fun, like please break down the birth tub and clean it and pack it so that it's like, right. All it needs is a new liner and it's ready to go. And like sterilizing instruments and, um, restocking the birth bag and stuff like that. Things that to me are like, hopefully beneficial for learning, but aren't, especially at like the, you know, as a primary under supervision student, things that she like needs to learn, you know, things that I normally would be jumping in and doing as a team. Like you said, Sophia, like we're all doing this together. So I'm compensating her $200 per birth mm -hmm. for those things, mm -hmm. just regardless. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we're with a client who feels comfortable and I have her assist me as the, like a prime, and this is something like for future students, this stuff will start when you are, um, primary under supervision, as far as assisting, like new students that come in, Nina's job will be to train them how to do the birth tub mm -hmm. and sterilize and, you know, tie up loose ends with the chart, make sure everything's like saved and in there, have the paperwork for the birth certificate printed and ready, things like that. So brand new green students will be compensated to do that. Mm -hmm. But once you're being signed off as primary under supervision and you're there assisting in lieu of a, of a midwife, because you are a trained birth assistant attendant, um, I'm paying her an additional $500. Nice. And so it feels good to just have it be really clear. Yeah. So like if she's the only one there assisting, then she's getting paid $700. Yeah. And if she, it's a client that she found and is essentially hiring her mm -hmm. and she brought into the practice, then it's different. It's a yeah. lot more. Mm -hmm. and that feels really, especially towards the end when I really am just trying to focus because I took that time off. Like I'm just trying to get it done at this point. For years, I was doing in-home care at the same time, you know, which was kind of, flexible in that 
you know, there wasn't like, it wasn't a restaurant job. It wasn't, I, I could come and go if I had a birth, it was okay. I could go the next day and do my in-home care um, work. And it was the only kind of job that I could find that I could do in conjunction with midwifery school without it being a huge stressor. Mm-hmm. But with COVID and stuff that all kind of changed and the woman I was helping um, moved away. And then it was just kind of like, now I just really want to focus on this. And so it gives me that opportunity to just really put my heart and my energy and labor into what we're doing right now together and finishing. And that feels really good for like the phase I'm in. So I'm really appreciative of that. And I would, I think it's a really important conversation to have. And for, I think it's, it can be really uncomfortable for a lot of students because you just kind of come into a practice working with someone who already has their, um, their routines down if they've worked with a student before they know what they how they want to do it and there's been a lot of just kind of default um, practices that student preceptors have and I'd like to see that it's kind of the conversation is starting to shift and people are talking about like what does accessibility look like what does sustainability look like what is like how how can we have it be equitable for both people or you know everyone involved and um, because midwifery school like has been so inaccessible, especially to like BIPOC midwifery students, um, that that is like so important to have that conversation and for primary students to feel like, yeah, I've, I've been doing this long enough that there is like some value that I'm bringing to this space and to be, and to feel that recipro- reciprocity too, I think is really. Yeah. And urging preceptors too, to like pause and reflect back when you were a student, you know, what would have felt good. And maybe it's not like necessary in quotes, but like if your preceptor had done this for you, how would that have felt? And like, don't you want your students to feel that way? Um, I know I, in like, we were talking Lee about delegating, you know, in terms of the business side of things that last year was a big year for me for delegating. And this year I hired a financial advisor and she broke down everything I did last year. And we set goals for this year. And she gave me like three different budgets to work off of, like basically what I did last year. Cause I feel confident I could do that again, what my goal is. And then somewhere in the middle. And, um, we broke that down and because of it, um, I was able to hire Emma as an employee. So we had talked about options. Like, should I, do you want me to pay you like per birth, like you guys are doing? Um, And what we decided would be better for her is to have like a stable weekly um, income that she could rely on. Um, And so that's what we ended up doing is my advisor was able to say, this is how much you can theoretically afford for the year. And then we divided it up by the weeks. And so that's what I'm paying her bi-weekly. And because I'm doing that for her, um, she is doing more like admin type work, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she's like, right now she's probably, you know, doing some work too. Um, So she takes care of like things that I wouldn't typically ask of Clover, like forms that I want for the business and, you know, stuff like that. Right. And there could be students who aren't available to do that much, Yeah, you know, and maybe they're in a position financially or with a support system where like, they don't need that extra money. So like, if you have more than one student or it's just not you know, I think having an option of like, these are some of the things that I have paid students do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you available? I mean, things like at the birth, that's different. Cause that's like the birth, that's a different thing, but like, you know, outside of births, admin stuff, like it may be that someone cares for a family member and has lots of children and, you know, isn't able to take that on. And like, that's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about that. And like, you're not, you can't be a student and you can't do this because those things aren't doable for you. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, and I feel like conversation. other piece of it that is, was helpful for me when I was a student, like finishing up at the birth center and finishing my assist phase and moving into primaries. I remember a midwife kind of mentor, a friend of mine was like, well, are you asking these people, these preceptors that you're interviewing if they offer any type of financial compensation and I was like no because I didn't even know that that could be part of the conversation and she was like yeah I mean there are some midwives who will pay you and that just felt like you know 
mind blown. <laughs> and then I was just asking all of these other student friends of mine, like, are you asking this at interviews? Because if all the students started asking, well, I'm interviewing at all these different practices and this is what this practice has offered to compensate. Like, it, I think that that level of, I, I don't want to say pressure because that feels like too intense. But, but like, like shift it. Yeah, like, like in bringing it direction. into the conversation mm -hmm. that right. other people are starting to offer it. It, I feel like it, it changes the conversation a little bit because I had definitely done interviews where when I brought that up, it was like, no, what are you talking what about? Are you talking about? Yeah. That's right. Work. Well, and like you said about sort of, you know, you call it the patriarchal model or whatever it is, but it's also something that um, Sophia and I share, which I think is a part of part of why we get along, is that we really strongly believe like the more midwives, the merrier. And um, the idea being that as a midwife who's take, you know, delegating these things to a student, you have more energy to put out into the community to get more clients to yeah. spread more information about midwifery and students who aren't completely fried, you know, maybe they can do a little more self-care, maybe they, you know, whatever, feel, feel more confident in their skills, like feel more um, respected in the practice, like their energy they're putting out also is like more positive, bringing in more clients. So it's like, you know, the money that you're paying students as a midwife, if you're coming from a place of scarcity and feeling threatened by new midwives, then yeah, of course you're not. And I'm not saying that's the only reason people aren't paying students, yeah. but like, that's a piece of it. So if you can move through that and look at it like, okay, the more like women, you know, in the community, people in the community becoming midwives who are like, feel confident and respected and can do self-care and all of that the more home births are going to happen and the well, more families are only one percent home births can you imagine even if we went up to like 10 percent home births right. there would be 2%. no way there would be no Life way yeah, yeah. we could take on that many clients we need more midwives and the more home births happen, the more likely insurance is to cover it, the more likely we are to be able to get paid more and to take more on or less mm -hmm. on, less clients paid more, you know, so it's only going to benefit all of us. Yeah. And just ha having that view, is just, it's like a paradigm shift, mm -hmm. I think, generationally for midwives. Mm -hmm. And it was just different. I mean, like some of the people that I worked with early on have been practicing for decades and like, it was just really different. Yeah. when they became midwives and so it's just, you know <laughs> right well and it's just that if you know there was two midwifery schools yeah. and people brought babies to birth strapped on their back and you know it's just yeah. like mm -hmm. it was just a different everything was different and it's going to be different in 30 years you know but it's just reevaluating kind of how you want to I don't know, practice and teach students and yeah. all that stuff and it's something that's really like missing. And maybe I, I go to um, uh, NMI, National Midwifery Institute. And, you know, there's been, I started in 2014 and I'm <laughs> trying to finish now. And I mean, I officially, I think enrolled in 2015, but um, the, the curriculum <laughs> has changed. I mean, everything about the school structure has changed the setup for support systems for the student, the way that we, um, you know, enter our experience, documentation, everything is completely different than when I started and when Leah was there, especially like when it was just mailing thing off, things off in like a vanilla envelope to some Back other place in the world. Um, and so I like, I appreciate all of those changes. It's made it much more streamlined. And, and I think that like I'm a big part of what's missing still in the school is kind of or what they're like moving towards is just working on supporting students to be able to feel like, oh, this is an option to ask preceptors or to feel empowered to be like, I feel like we need to have a conversation about X, Y, Z, or just, you know, kind of like shift the dynamics a little bit and make it more human um, and more horizontal in terms of like community building and how important that is. And it's, I think, something that I hope to see more of that conversation happening in school and like even maybe a, a whole course about like, the preceptor student relationship and navigating conversations around this stuff. And so it's, you know, it's definitely, it's like changing a lot. And yeah. 
in a good uh, Well, this was a good topic. I'm glad we were able to check in about it all. And now our time has come to an end. <laughs> well, there will be more student preceptor rants. Yes. Yeah. Meaty subject. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank I would you. love to do a panel of students anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is right, not a panel? No. <laughs> more students. Half panel. Half panel. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening and tune in next week for more. Yay. Bye. Bye. Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us at Born Wild Podcast on Instagram. For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A. Sophia at sophiabirth.com. And me, Leah, at Bay Area Homebirth. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always, stay, stay wild. wild.